Okay, this morning I have an oddly titled sermon. It's called Forgiving and Forgiveness, but it's not going to start out talking about that topic at all. Uh, <laughs> it's going to talk about something else, but we'll get around to it. We'll get around to it. If you want to uh, turn to a specific scripture, Matthew 18, beginning in 21, we'll spend a little bit of time there. Jesus often taught in parables. And these are stories that contain instructions or instruction. They, they teach. And often we have difficulty, I certainly have difficulty, understanding these parables. And this should not be surprising to us. We expect that parables should clarify things, but in many cases that was not the intent that Jesus had. In Matthew 13, 10-13, we find this. The disciples came and said to him, Why do you speak to them in parables? And he answered and said to them, Because it is given unto you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it is not given. For whosoever has to him shall be given, and he shall have more abundance. But whosoever has not, from him shall be taken away even that he has. Therefore, I speak to them in parables, because they, seeing, because they seeing, see not, and hearing, they hear not, neither do they understand. So basically, Jesus is saying, I make things uh, in a way, I say things in a way that they're not going to grasp, because they don't want to hear. They don't want to see. They, they aren't ready for this. So this shows us that it was not always Jesus' intention to make things understandable. He was talking about spiritual things. And such things can only be understood spiritually. As we read in 1 Corinthians 2.14, it says this, The natural man receives not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. So, here's a parable that is in this category, I think. That it's, it's one of these parables that it isn't real, really easy to understand. At least, I haven't found it so. I'm teaching on it today because someone asked me this week, how do you teach Matthew 18, 21 to 35? And I thought to myself, I guess I'll have to teach it and find out. <laughs> so I did. Um, let's jump into this. It's Matthew 18, starting in 21. Then came Peter to him and said, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Till seven times? Jesus said to him, I say not unto thee until seven times, but until seventy times seven. Therefore is the kingdom of heaven likened to a certain king, which would take account of his servants. And when he had begun to reckon, one was brought unto him that owed him ten thousand talents. But forasmuch as he had not to pay, his Lord commanded him to be sold, and his wife, and his children, and all that he had, and payment to be made. 
The servant therefore fell down and worshipped him. Now, when we read this word worshipped here in the King James, this doesn't mean that the servant was, was telling this other man, oh, I think you're God. <laughs> this, this kind of worship is more about serving or, or submitting, uh, being, being subservient. He fell down and worshipped him, saying, Lord, have patience with me and I will pay thee all. Then the Lord of that servant was moved with compassion and loosed him and forgave the debt. But the same servant went out and found one of his fellow servants which owned him, owed him a hundred pence. And he laid hands on him and took him by the throat saying, Pay me what you owe. And his fellow servant fell down at his feet and besought him saying, have patience with me, and I will pay thee all. And he would not, but went and cast him into prison until he should pay the debt. That's never made any sense to me. <laughs> you going to pay a debt when you're in prison. <laughs> so when his fellow servants saw what was done, they were very sorry and came and told their Lord all that was done. Then his Lord, after that he had called him, said unto him, O oh, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you desired it. Because you, you asked me. Should you not also have had compassion on your fellow servant even as I had pity on you? And his Lord was wroth and delivered him to the tormentors till he should pay all that was due to him. So likewise shall my heavenly Father do also unto you if you from your hearts Forgive not everyone, his brother, their trespasses. Do you get that? You need to forgive everybody, everything they ever do against you, or else your heavenly Father will deliver you to the tormentors until you pay all that you owe. Reading this passage evokes for me another similar passage in Matthew 6, 14-15, where it says this, For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. This is from a passage that we refer to often as the Lord's Prayer, or in the Roman tradition, the Our Father. It is part of the teaching of Jesus that we call the Sermon on the Mount. Luke 11 also records this prayer, and there it's recounted as the answer that Jesus gave his disciples when they asked him to teach them to pray as John the Baptist taught his disciples. I think that's important. That they asked him to teach them as John the Baptist taught is a point that I think is easily missed. John was teaching the law of Moses, not the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. Likewise, it's important to remember that much of what Jesus taught was to those who were under the law of Moses. They were under the old covenant. He taught them the true meaning of the law. And when he taught about that, 
like he did in the Sermon on the Mount, he was elevating that to show not just the letter of the law, but the spirit of it. And that included things like plucking out eyes and cutting off hands and not even thinking anything evil and being perfect as God is perfect. The central message of this parable we're looking at this morning in, Luke, in Matthew 18 is that if anyone wants to make themselves acceptable to and compatible with God, that is righteous, they must be as he is. Forgiveness is the example given in this parable. God, the Lord of the servant, forgave the servant a great deal, more than the servant could hope to repay. Nevertheless, the servant was unforgiving toward another who owed him only a little. This would have said to those under the law that the requirement was not achievable. It told them that their only hope lay in the grace and mercy of God. This was hard for them to see because they had been raised in the tradition of the law and taught that they needed to strive for moral perfection. Verse 23 in that passage in Matthew 18 says this, The kingdom of heaven is like unto a certain king which would take account of his servants. This is what will occur at the judgment day. Verses 24 and 25 tell us that the servant was found to owe more than he could hope to pay. And they go on to remind us of what the law dictated. In the parable, the servant, his wife, his children, and all that he had would be sold and the proceeds given to the Lord. Another way of saying that is the wages of sin is death. Verses 26 through 30, we find that being without hope, the servant threw himself on the mercy of the Lord and forgiveness was provided. Even so, the servant did not appreciate what had been done for him and failed to forgive another. From this, and verses 32 to 35, we understand that the servant's heart was not changed. Jesus points out the importance of this idea in Luke 7:47, where we read this. Wherefore, I say unto thee, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But to whom little is forgiven, the same loveth little. Do you see that? The servant in our parable didn't appreciate what had been done for him. He didn't appreciate the magnitude of it. And so he loved little. He had no love for this guy who owed him a small amount. To whom little is forgiven, the same loveth little. When we devalue what Christ has done for us, we reject him in all, in all truth. Unconditional forgiveness is not possible under the law. Hebrews 10.4 says, makes this really clear in saying, it is not possible that the blood of bulls and of goats should take away sin. Under the law, forgiveness by God is conditioned upon one's forgiveness of others. 
Jesus said that in, the, in this prayer that he taught. He says it in this parable. That's the letter of the law. The spirit of the law is forgiveness by God is conditioned upon spotless righteousness. Be ye perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. That's the spirit of the law. That righteousness cannot be achieved by anyone. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God, as we read in Romans 3.23. Righteousness acceptable to God must be given by Jesus and accepted as a gift through belief, through faith in Him. You know, I think we've seen that as we've studied Saul. Saul's actions showed that Saul didn't have complete faith in God. Jesus did not always teach the law. Sometimes he taught his disciples about the way things would be under grace. For example, in John 13.34, he said... A new commandment I give unto you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. And then in John 15, 12, he reiterated, This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. When he was asked in John 6, 28-29, What are we to do so that we may accomplish the works of God? Jesus said, This is the work of God that you believe in Him whom He has sent. The finished, work of cross, the, <laughs> the finished work of Christ changed things. After the cross, we never again find teaching that tells us that we must forgive to be forgiven. Instead, we read things like Ephesians 4.32. And be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another. So we still are encouraged to do that. Even as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven you. Do you see the difference? You are forgiven. And Colossians 3.13 says this, Forbearing one another... And forgiving one another, if any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. It's inverted, isn't it? Christ forgave, we stand forgiven, and out of that, our reaction is love, forgiveness. In the end, it all comes down to love. We love according to 1 John 4.19, because Father loved us first. We love because His love is poured all over our soft, loving new hearts, as we find in Romans 5.5. 5. Then in Romans 13.8-10, we find this amazing thought. It says that love fulfills the law. Here's what it says. Owe no man anything but to love one another. For he that loveth another has fulfilled the law. 
For this, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness, thou shalt not covet, and if there be any other commandment, it is briefly comprehended in this saying, namely, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Love works no ill to his neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. This is true because as Romans 8, 3, and 4 tells us, what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, condemned sin in the flesh. Why? That the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. And then, you know, sometimes we like to pick up on that and say, well, I don't always walk according to the Spirit. You know, sometimes I walk in the flesh. But that's the very next verses say that you are in the Spirit if the Spirit is in you. So if, you're, if you believe, if, if the Spirit of God dwells in you, you're in the Spirit. You were baptized into Christ's death, remember? You were immersed in Him. We are in Christ. We see that all over the New Testament. So maybe sometimes you don't behave like it, but that's where you are. Because the Spirit of God lives in us, and because we live and move and have our being in Jesus Christ, the requirement of the law is fulfilled in us. We have been given righteousness, as we read in Romans 5, 17-21. For if by one man's offense death reigned by one, much more they that receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one Jesus Christ. Therefore, as by the offense of one judgment came upon all men to condemnation, even so by the righteousness of one the free gift came upon all men unto justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound. But where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. That's good news. That as sin has reigned unto death, even so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life, by Jesus Christ our Lord. In this passage it says, by the offense of one, judgment came upon all men to condemnation. All have sinned and fall short. The wages of sin is death. Everybody is in that same boat. Even so, by the righteousness of one, the free gift came upon all men unto justification of life. Now a lot of times people read that and say, see, Everybody is forgiven. Everybody is saved or will be by the end. In the end, more correctly. But that's not what it says here, is it? It says, by the offense of one, judgment came upon all. But by the righteousness of one, the free gift came upon all. In other words, the gift is on your porch. 
unto justification of life. In other words, if you accept that gift, you get what's inside. <laughs> life, justification, salvation. So light, righteousness is a gift. 2 Corinthians 5.21 is unequivocal. For he has made him to be sin for us. Him who knew no sin. That we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Jesus gave us the very righteousness of God. What does that mean? It just means he made you righteous. There is no other kind of righteousness. There is only the righteousness of God. So the parable of the unforgiving servant in Matthew 18 finds its true fulfillment in the grace of God received by faith in Jesus Christ. The Apostle Peter links obedience and righteousness. In 1 Peter 1, 18-23, it reads this, For as much as you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your vain conversation, in other words, your pointless way of life, received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. We talked about that last week, right? Who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world. In other words, the plan was already laid. Foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest or made concrete or tangible or brought to light in these last times for you who by him do believe in God that raised him up from the dead and gave him glory that your faith and hope might be in God. Seeing you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit unto unfeigned love of the brethren, See that you love one another with a pure heart fervently, being born again not of corruptible seed, but of, of incorruptible by the word of God, which lives and abides forever. You see, it isn't our forgiveness of others or any other thing that we can do that redeems us and settles our debt with the Lord. Our redemption, our forgiveness was given to us as a gift because of the blood of the spotless Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He did this for we who put all our faith and hope in God through Christ Jesus, trusting Him for righteousness and forgiveness. Peter says that we who have trusted in God, quote, have purified our souls by obeying the truth. Purified souls are righteous. Believing God is the obedience of faith that, was, that it was Paul's stated mission to bring about. You can look that up in Romans 1.5. He talks about this idea that I'm doing this so that you guys will obey, obey in faith. Have the obedience of faith. Peter goes on to say that through the Spirit, God has produced in us genuine, heartfelt love for the children of God. Even for Jim. 
The parable we've studied was needed introductory teaching that laid the groundwork for walking by faith and life in the Spirit that Jesus was to institute through his death and resurrection. Let me say this again because I wrote that in an odd way, so it's not real clear. The parable that we studied, this thing about the servant forgiving and not forgiving, was needed introductory teaching. In other words, the disciples needed this. It laid the groundwork for walking by faith. And it laid the groundwork for life in the Spirit that Jesus was going to be instituting through His death and resurrection. They needed to hear that. Forgiveness and new life are available to everyone who will obey God by believing what He says about what it takes to make us righteous and compatible to Him. For everyone who has believed Him, forgiveness is a done deal. Father, we thank You for the beauty of this Word, for the, the truth that You supply to us. And we, we look at these parables, Father, and sometimes they really twist our minds around in knots and it's hard for us to, to grab truth out of them. And Father, we're so glad that You've given us these things because they cause us to really think about what's going on. What does it really mean, what you've done? What are the full ramifications of grace? What has Jesus actually provided to us? And while we look at these and we, we study them and we think, oh, we found this great thing and let's talk about this, we know there are many other teaching points that you've made in them that we're still missing. And we pray for clarity and revelation that you would continue to, to open our minds and hearts to hear what you've really said to us. We thank you for this morning, this passage in Matthew, that is so challenging and yet it contains so much good news. We thank you that we are forgiven, that there's just no question about it, that it's a done deal that you're not remembering or counting our sins against us. You were in Christ reconciling the world to yourself, not counting men's sins against them. That the work of God is to believe, to trust you, to put our faith in you, to know that you are our only hope of righteousness. And Father, we do that. We pray this morning that you would open our hearts and minds to a deeper understanding of faith that we would remember that it's not something we work up or attain or somehow build, but that, but that it is that simple childlike trust and knowing that you are working in and through us at all times and then acting on that. Somehow it seems complex, but we know it's simple. We pray for clarity. We pray for wisdom. And we thank you that you always give those without making anybody feel bad or or making us you know think that we're asking amiss we pray all of these things in Jesus name amen